to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, May 26, 2019, on the basis of John 16, verses 16 through 24. Some recent data suggests that maybe it is time for our country to be renamed. That rather than being known as the United States of America, a more appropriate title might be the Unhappy States of America. For about the past 10 years now, a research organization called Gallup has been trying to measure the happiness that exists among Americans, and apparently within about the last year or so, we've hit an all-time low. Maybe one explanation for that, and maybe one explanation for why happiness seems to be this elusive thing that we can never quite grab onto, is that there is no universal definition of what is going to bring happiness into a person's life. Is happiness found in achieving all of your life's dreams? Is happiness found in a 3,000 square foot house where every square inch of storage space is filled up with stuff? Is happiness found in being surrounded by people that you love and the experiences that you have with those people? Can you find happiness if you have a job that you find fulfilling or hobbies that you find enjoyable? No one seems to agree which, if any of those things, can truly bring a person happiness. And yet there is one thing on which it seems we all agree, at least we all sort of act this way, and that's that happiness is a product of our circumstances. That happiness isn't this, this thing that you can just fabricate or fake. It isn't something that you can just generate out of thin air. You can't just decide that you're going to be happy when everything in your life is going wrong. Happiness is a product of circumstances. Happiness is sort of the outcome when all of the right ingredients are put into your life. And yet that's what makes that research from Gallup so very interesting. As I mentioned, they've been doing this study for about the past 10 years. In fact, they started in the year 2008, the year our economy tanked and the housing market crashed. And believe it or not, as it turns out, we were happier back then than we are today. In fact, another interesting thing about the research is that they didn't just measure happiness across all Americans. They measured happiness by state. Do you know the state where the happiest people live? South Dakota. Nothing against South Dakota, no offense if you're from South Dakota. My brother lives in South Dakota now, and so we've been there a couple of times in the last year. I don't see it. (laughs) I might be missing something, but I'm not sure what everyone there has to be so happy about. Maybe, just maybe, happiness isn't a product of our circumstances. In fact, that's the very thing that Jesus wants to teach us in the verses that we're going to be looking at today. Jesus isn't going to talk about happiness Per se, He is going to talk about the very closely related concept of joy. And Jesus wants us to know that when it comes to joy, conventional wisdom about joy is way off base. That joy is not based on circumstances that are constantly changing in our life from one day to the next. Instead, joy is based on one single, historical, undeniable, irreversible event. Jesus wants us to know that joy can, in fact, be generated out of thin air, Or more accurately, that joy can be generated out of an empty tomb. As we look at these verses from John 16 today, we're going to see that Easter is an engine that generates joy. Jesus spoke those words that I read to his disciples in the upper room the night before he was going to be put put to death on the cross. 
And it's very clear that what Jesus said to these disciples was confusing to them. In fact, when you listen to what he said, it's rather mysterious and even cryptic. Jesus said, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. It's very clear that the disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about. With the advantage of hindsight, we can see that Jesus was talking about his death and his resurrection. In a little while, you won't see me. I'll die on the cross. And then in a little while, you'll see me again. I will rise from the dead. And then Jesus talks about this whole concept of joy in connection with those two important events. He says, when I die, that will be your time for grief. You will mourn and you will weep. But then when I rise from the dead, then your grief will turn to joy. Notice how he doesn't say that your grief will go away and be replaced by joy or give way to joy. No, he says that your grief will turn into joy. In other words, the very thing that causes you that grief will then be a source and a cause of your joy. In fact, it will give you a joy that no one can ever take away from you. Jesus is telling us that Easter is an engine that generates joy, and it can generate joy no matter what it is working with no matter what you throw into it. We might think of it this way. There are some engines where the output of that engine is directly impacted by what you put into that engine. Think of your car engine, for example. You know that in order for your car engine to run properly, you need to put in just the right gasoline with just the right octane level. You need to put in just the right motor oil with just the right viscosity level. And if any of those things is off, your engine is not going to work as well as it could. In fact, more than that, if you put in maple syrup instead of motor oil or orange juice instead of gasoline, I'm guessing that you wouldn't be making it to your Memorial Day barbecue on time. What you put in directly impacts what comes out. And yet there are other engines where that is not so much the case. In fact, check this out. piano, a sofa, a tire, an automobile. You can throw just about anything that you want into one of those giant metal shredders, and it pretty much comes out the same way. Teeny, tiny, mangled scrap. As you might imagine, there's an entire YouTube channel where you can watch those people shred all kinds of cool stuff. The point is this. Jesus wants us to know that Easter is an engine of that type, not an engine like the one in your car. As I mentioned before, it's so easy for us to think that joy is a product of circumstances, that in order for us to have happiness, all the right stuff needs to go in, and then happiness and joy are what come out on the other side. In fact, this week I, I learned about a new app for your phone called Track Your Happiness. You install that app on your phone, and the basic idea is that at random points during the day, the app, first of all, asks you to indicate how happy you are on a scale of 1 to 10, and then it asks you about all of the circumstances in your life at that moment. What are you doing? What are you thinking about? Who are you with? How much sleep did you get the night before? The idea, of course, is that if the makers of this app can just gather enough data about the circumstances that make people happy or don't make people happy, they can figure out the secret 
to happiness. Jesus offers us a much different alternative. He points to his death and resurrection as proof that joy is not based on circumstance, as proof that you can take anything, absolutely anything, put it into the hands of God, and something good comes out on the other side. Just think about it. In Jesus' death, you had the very worst of of everything that's ever been found on planet Earth. You had jealousy and greed and barbaric human violence on display. You had corrupt religion, corrupt government at work. You had people who were unwilling to stand up for what was right, people who were willing to do just about anything if it meant saving their own skin. You had all of the world's sin gathered together, including the sin of all of the people in the room. You had the consequences of sin, death, and hell itself, all gathered up, all balled together like one giant, jagged, bitter pill that was swallowed by the Son of God and buried in his tomb. And what came out three days later? Forgiveness. Peace with God. Victory over all of our enemies, including death. Eternal life with God and with the people that we love. The very things that normally we would think cause the utmost sadness are the very things that now cause the utmost joy. This is how God works. Jesus knew that this would be sort of a difficult concept for his disciples to wrestle with, as it probably is for us. And so Jesus then picked an example from everyday life that illustrates this. He picked the example of a woman giving birth to a child. I have been told that when a woman gives birth to a child, she goes through things that are very, very painful. And yet when that child finally arrives, that pain is actually transformed into joy. In fact, you'll sometimes maybe even hear women say, maybe some of the women in the room have said, that they sort of forget about that pain of childbearing, which is what makes them willing to go through it on more than one occasion, more than one time. How does that work exactly? Do they really forget? They get selective amnesia? Is there some biological mechanism inside of their brain that takes that memory and puts it into the recycle bin? No. They still remember that. They still have that experience. It's just that that experience has been completely transformed. How they view that experience has been completely re- Framed. The very thing that was causing them pain has now been the cause uh, and the source of their joy. In fact, I might be way off on this, but in fact, I would imagine if it was in fact just a stork that delivered all of the babies, that when it was time for the baby to arrive, some magical flying stork would just drop it off at the hospital for mom and dad, and if you held that baby in your arms for the very first time, the experience would be a little bit different and not as good having not gone through the pain ahead of time. The pain itself is actually a cause and actually magnifies the joy that ensues. And Jesus is telling us this is how God works, that you can take absolutely anything, put it into the hands of God, and on the other end comes out something that in many cases we can't even imagine how good it is. That you can take the successes and the comforts and the thrills of life, the joy and the laughter and the warm embraces. And you can also take the failures and the frustrations and the pain and the struggle and the tears and the loneliness and isolation, and you can take that all and give it to God. And something good will come out. And if that's the case, then you have a joy, as Jesus says, that no one can take away. 
If joy is simply based on circumstances, then at any given moment, someone else can take it away from you. But if it's not, no one can. In fact, if the cause of what most people consider sadness is actually the cause of your joy, who would want to take it away? Who would even try to take those things away from you? You have a joy that no one can take away. Jesus is saying that Easter is an engine that no matter what you throw into it, it will generate joy in your life. So how do we put that engine to work? No matter what type of engine you're talking about, whether it's the engine in your car or the kind of engine that can shred anything in sight, you need to know how it works. You need to know how to operate it, right? You need to know which buttons to press and which levers to pull. And that's sort of what Jesus talks about next. He says that once he dies and once he rises, the disciples will understand everything that Jesus is talking about and there will be nothing else that they need to ask him about. They will get it. But that will mean that they would want to put this into practice, into operation in their life. And so there would be no longer anything to ask him about. Instead, there would be only things to ask him for in prayer. And in regards to that prayer, Jesus makes an incredible promise. He says, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Does that really work? that anything that we ask God for, in Jesus' name, the answer is always going to be yes. Well, obviously, in order for us to understand Jesus' words, we need to understand what Jesus means by in my name. Praying for something in Jesus' name doesn't simply mean that after you've asked for everything that you want, you just tack on those words at the end. In Jesus' name, amen. No, it means praying for something that is in line with, that is in harmony with, that is in perfect agreement with what Jesus himself has revealed to us about God, including what he has revealed about where joy comes from. I don't know about you, but when I think about my prayers, I think those prayers are often based on the assumption that life runs on an engine that's sort of like the engine in my car, that what comes out is completely dependent on what goes in, that my joy, my happiness is completely based on my circumstances. And so then, as a result, my prayers focus on changing those circumstances. Dear Jesus, help me get into the top school of my choice. Dear Jesus, help me get the job that I'm applying for. Dear Jesus, help all of my investments go up, 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 up. Dear Jesus, help this illness go away. Dear Jesus, help my loved one get better. Of course, wonderful prayers to, for us to offer, but not the types of prayers that Jesus is talking about and making this promise about. Instead, he's making this promise about prayers that are in keeping with what he has revealed to us, including what he has revealed to us about joy. That we can take absolutely anything, regardless of our circumstances, put it in the hands of God and know that something good will come out. And so in addition to those prayers that we rightly offer for God to change our circumstances, a prayer in Jesus' name might look something like this. Dear Jesus, even if my circumstances don't change, even if nothing gets better, give me the wisdom and the faith to know that you will work all things for my good. Dear Jesus, please use the proof of Easter to convince me to the very bottom of my heart that you will work what is best, even in what appears to be worst. Dear Jesus, help me find a joy 
that is not based on my ever-changing circumstances, but that is only based on the irreversible fact of your resurrection from the dead. And a prayer like that, a prayer in keeping with what Jesus has revealed to us about joy, the answer to that prayer will always be yes. That's how we put this engine, this principle to work in our lives, by asking for the very things that Jesus himself has promised to give us. Now, it still might be difficult at times to really see and to know how this is going to work, but I think we can probably even get a little glimpse of it already. For example, which thought would put a bigger smile on your face? Which thought do you think would fill your heart with more joy? The thought that after months and months, maybe even years and years of wrestling and struggling and striving and stress and anxiety and, yes, prayer, the circumstances in your life would get just a teeny tiny sliver better. Or the thought that even if those circumstances don't change one bit, the thought that even if they get worse, the thought that even if a friend stabs you in the back and ruins your reputation, even if some cruel dictator takes over our country and puts us all into slave labor, the thought that your boss would embarrass you in front of your team at work or a teacher in front of your class at school, the thought that some greedy trader on Wall Street would make all of your savings go up in smoke, the thought that some teeny tiny microscopic bacteria could put you or someone you love on your deathbed. And that even in those circumstances, you could look into the eye of each and every one of those things and with a defiant and almost evil laugh say, you're working for me. I don't know if you knew this. I don't know if you're aware of this. I don't know if you want this. But everything that you do is serving for my benefit. Wahahaha. <laughs> See, I told you you would laugh. I told you you would smile. This is what Easter does. Easter is an engine that generates joy. So put that engine to work in your life. Turn it on. Open the throttle all the way up and let that thing roar. In fact, you probably already know by now that if your life runs on that kind of engine that's like the one in your car, boy, that's a frustrating thing. That it always feels as though the engine isn't working at maximum efficiency, that you're constantly going uphill and against the wind and there's ice and snow on the road and your tires are completely bald and you're just not getting where you want to go as fast as you can. So instead, put that other type of engine to work, the joy-generating engine of Easter because as long as one thing is true, that engine will always be working at maximum efficiency. As long as one thing is true, that engine will always be revving on all of its cylinders. What is it? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.